I've been married to Karen for about 23 years this summer. It's going to be really amazing. I, she's kind of a superhero. I love a lot about her. She's amazing. She, uh, she's welcoming. She's thoughtful. She, uh, she's taught me a lot about not wearing our masks so that you can have a real friendship. You can have actually kind of a real marriage because you're not wearing your masks anymore. Uh, she's loyal. She always seems to follow through on all the stuff that she says she's going to do. But even with all of her amazing superpowers, all of those things all together, those have never completely helped her to understand what the heck is going on with her husband. I am truly baffling to her. It's amazing because despite all the different, all the years that we've had together, all the experiences that we've had in common, we're still very different people. Uh, we have similar values, yeah, sure. Uh, but just for an example, what, are, what we would have as a list of things that we would want to do or to receive for our birthday is very different. Because, because we're really different people. We have different needs, uh, different expectations, and we have differing desires for social interaction, um, different attention spans, and even different energy levels. And if you're wondering, on all three of those, I'm the lower one from her. Uh, in the early 1990s, there was a guy named Dr. Gary Chapman, and he published a book that you may have heard about called The Five Love Languages. And in this book, he posits that there are different preferred modes uh, or methods of communicating love. For one person, they might want to spend a lot of quality time with somebody else, and they receive that as love. And for another person, that might be nice, that's fine, but what they want is loving words from somebody else. And they receive that as love. And some people are just hardwired for one language or another, and it, and it is a language because if, if one person is speaking a specific language and you don't understand it or if you don't speak it fluently, then it's going to be hard to get the message across. You've probably experienced that in your life. There have been times where maybe you have thoughtfully and painstakingly chosen what you thought was the perfect gift for somebody. And then when you gave it to them, they didn't appreciate it quite as much as you had hoped. Or maybe your partner makes an amazing meal for you and they're really good at that, but what you really wanted for them is just to hold your hand a little more often in public. So what was really great about Chapman's book was that it gave vocabulary to us so that we can more clearly communicate with our loved ones and the, the things that we really are intending so that it can be received. So we, we can say what we intend to say and it can be received in the way that we want it to be received. Well, why, why? Mention that on Easter. <laughs> I'm mentioning that because for you, maybe consciously or unconsciously, you have wondered how you might be able to take your next step in faith to God, in your journey with God. There is supposed to be this loving connection between us and God. And so the question is, how can we communicate love back and forth between us and God? Uh, God's love language was not really on Gary Chapman's list, but what we're going to see in our passage today is that God's love language is that we should receive his welcome. We should receive the love and affection that God has for us, and then we're supposed to translate that back out into love and affection for God and for other people. All right, let's, I'm going to invite my readers to come up. 
So David Chun, Megan Rabbit, and David Hayden, why don't you come up? You're gonna, they're going to help us to enter in to the story that we're going to be looking at today. So thank you three for coming up and helping us. This is John 21, verses 1 through 17 in the New Living Translation. My name is Peter, and this is how I remember it. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Hey guys, you caught any fish? <laughs> no, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from it. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Jesus said, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net had not torn. Now come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Lord, thank you for this passage on this Easter that we remember this moment after Jesus' resurrection. We pray that we will understand it, that your Holy Spirit will be speaking to our hearts, that we can have that communication with you throughout this time, not just hearing from me, but hearing from you. May we understand your word and, and put it into practice today. Enjoy and celebrating who you are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so earlier in the service, Jerry and Cindy read the first part of this. They read a text from the book of Matthew uh, where the first people who arrive at Jesus' tomb that morning, a group of women, uh, they became the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And that would seem kind of like the end of the story there. Right? He's resurrected. We see him. He came back. But there's more. I, I wonder if you've ever seen a Marvel movie. Probably, uh, given the fact that I think just about all of them have been complete box office successes, I think probably you have at least seen one. In, in most movies, most other movies, the movie 
The film comes to an end. The credits start to roll. You stand up, check for your cell phone and your keys, and you kind of take off and you walk on your way. And I don't know, some of you just throw your popcorn on the ground or something like that. Um, um, but if you have seen a Marvel movie, you know you're not supposed to take off yet. Because if you stay when the credits are rolling, there's always one more scene. There's one more scene that's there. And that is kind of what's going on here in John 21. The, the main action actually came to a close already. Jesus rose from the dead. Amazing. He appeared to his disciples. He even appeared to Thomas, doubting Thomas. And he said, hey, I need to see your hands. I need to touch you. He says, yeah, let me touch you. And he fell on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. And you expect, that's when the credits start to roll. The, the, the scene has come to an end. But in the book of John, one more scene pops up then. We flash to this region of Galilee along a big lake, and it's in John 21. It's this, it's this kind of epilogue that comes at the end of John's gospel, like the extra scene in Marvel movies. And it's this bonus scene, and, and by that I mean, you know, you can understand the rest of the story without this part in there. It's, uh, but it is, it's a pivotal moment in the development of one person in particular, that guy Simon Peter. And it tells a lot about what God thinks about people who come back to him. It's pretty amazing, and I'm really glad that it's in there. So I said God's love language is to receive his welcome, all that affection and love, and then translate it into action to reflect it back to God, to give it back to people. So it's receiving from God and pouring that out to other people. So first of all, it's, it's receiving from God. So if you love God, you need to receive from God. And I know, I will concede, you probably have already made a lot of decisions because of your Christian faith. You probably do a lot of things because of your Christian faith. But even so, what the Bible tells us is that even the most dedicated people, all all of us, all of us need in our relationship to receive from God so much that it's our relationship with God is completely lopsided. It is not an equal thing. In the, on the teeter-totter of our relationship with God, all the weight is completely on God's side. And that's because all of our best efforts, all the things that we do for God, you know, they only kind of move us like, like one inch closer to God. But God has come completely to us. God is the one who moved toward us. Let's, let's look at three different scriptures. In Christ, this is from John 1.14. In Christ, God literally did come from heaven to us. The word of God became a human being and lived here with us. So God came to us. John, uh, 1 John 4 says this, God loved us first. It's not because I did it, he did it first. This is Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to be good first. He died for us first. He came to us. So if you look at the whole scope of the Bible and the whole story, you're going to see that God takes the initiative over and over again with us. And in our passage here, we see Jesus taking the initiative with his disciples, these followers of his. They, these other people were out on the lake. They're fishing. Uh, in his life before coming to follow Jesus, Peter was a fisherman. I think he's gone back to a comfortable place there fishing. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with them 
from the shoreline. And even if you are not somebody who loves to fish, you know that this is kind of an uncomfortable question, right? He says, hey, guys, no fish, huh? Right? You don't love to hear that. <laughs> um, in the summer times, I go with my family to a lake cabin. It's our family cabin that's on uh, a lake in the eastern part of Washington. And one of the best fishing spots on the whole lake is about 50 yards out from our cabin, right at the end of our dock. It's kind of amazing. So there, there can be a little group of boats out there every night. You can see them. But it's, it's kind of hilarious because if you say, hey, we're going to go fishing. So you, you grab, you get your poles, you know, and you take your your cooler, your drinks, all your little things that you need. You finally get all the kids there, and you kind of go in the boat, and you kind of start the boat. But on my boat, you have to kind of a few few times, you start the boat. Start, I'll start the boat. Okay, fine. Yeah, okay. So you get the boat going, and you kind of, okay, everybody's ready, and you kind of, we're there, right? It's like, it's, it's like you can go just like right over there. It's over very fast. Um, but if you're, the thing that's kind of cool about that is that somebody from our cabin can walk to the end of our dock, especially on a cool, I mean, on a calm night. They're, you're 50 yards away, but somebody can just stand at the end of the dock and talk to you in a normal voice. And you know what they usually say? Not catching anything, huh? Right? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of the same thing. Um, but it would be, it's kind of funny for that to happen, but a crazy thing would be if that person at the end of the dock said to you, hey, why don't, why don't you try casting on the other side of your boat? The boat's like this wide, okay? This is not that big of a difference than this, okay? But Jesus' disciples, that's what Jesus says to them. He says, why don't you try casting on the other side? And for one reason or another, they do it. They go, okay, fine. And suddenly, they get this enormous catch of fish. And so one of the guys in the boat, it's probably John. It just keeps calling him the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, but it's, it's John, and he yells out, it's the Lord. And Peter immediately grabs his stuff and jumps in the water, starts swimming for shore. And the others, they bring in the, they have the net, and they just start rowing in to head into shore too and to kind of follow behind him. And there, when they discover, is Jesus on the beach, and he's got this fire of coals burning there, and he's got bread for them, and he invites them to grab one of the fish that they just hauled in. And, and I'll, I'll say, by the way, just as a, if maybe you had a question about this, some people wonder about, it says 153 fish, uh, if there's some special symbolism. There are a lot of theories about that, uh, but nobody really knows for sure. So you can come up with your own theory. There you go. Uh, we can definitely say there were a lot of fish. It was a miraculous catch of fish. They were catching nothing on this side. They caught 153 on that side. And Jesus prepares a meal for them. Bread and fish. And he says, come have breakfast. And he takes the bread and the fish and he gives it to them. And they receive from him. If this were a movie, I think there would actually be a flashback right there, right when he gives them the food. And it would flash back to the crucifixion. Uh, one of the points of suffering that Jesus faced on the crucifixion, was that there's this, it is terrible in itself, but in that terrible moment, he had to go through it without the closest people to him, or at least most of them. His closest friends deserted him. Some of the prominent women and his students did stay there, uh, but most everybody scattered. And one guy in particular was not there. He was prominently missing. 
And that guy was Simon Peter. And if you flash back again a little bit farther, we can go to the night before when Jesus was arrested. Because Peter was the guy who loudly proclaimed, Jesus, I'm never going to leave your side. I'll die with you. I'm there for you. But shortly after, he denied knowing Jesus three times. Three times people asked Simon Peter if you knew Jesus. I think you were one of his followers. And three times he denied it all being connected to Jesus at all. Even when his neck wasn't really on the line. Because the scene was like this. It was a kind of a cold night that night. And there was a fire of burning coals that was there. Interesting fact. The New Testament that we were reading here was originally written in Greek. And there is a specific word for a fire of coals. It's kind of a funny thing. And it's only used two times in the New Testament. It's used once when Peter was standing there rubbing his hands when Jesus was arrested and stood there denying that he knew Jesus three times. And when's the next time it's in the, in the New Testament, in the Bible? It's when the camera zooms out of that fire and flashes onto a next fire where Jesus is sitting there serving them bread and fish, a fire of coals. Jesus is giving to them. And I think we would hear, if, if it were a film, when, the, when it switches from fire to fire, you would hear the, the words of Peter's denial echoing. I don't know that man. People nowadays, we can be kind of, let's just be, admit it, we're kind of super patronizing to people who lived a long time ago, our ancestors who lived before us. We treat people from historical times like, like they were kind of stupid and we're the smart ones, right? We, we, we get pretty disgusted with Victorian-era people and their condescending attitude toward other people. You know, they would call people savages and things like that. Uh, they thought they were better than everyone else. And, and we see them as patronizing colonizers in the way that they saw people long ago, which I think is probably right to think that. However, don't we also kind of a little bit have the same attitude toward people who came before us? We, we think we can pat people on the head in a real patronizing way. Oh, you lived 2,000 years ago. You don't know very much. <laughs> but that's not the case. We can remember that Plato actually lived hundreds of years before Jesus said this, and Plato said a couple of smart things. So I just want us to say, the writer John did this on purpose. John's not a dummy. He did this on purpose to draw our attention to this. He has masterfully connected these two events, the denial of Peter and him sitting there with this simple image of a fire of coals. And all of that is an intro that prepares us for verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And uh, when our magnificent readers reenacted the scene, I kind of wonder what you felt if you saw it in a little different way when, when Jesus asked that question and then asked it again and then asked it again. You might have felt a little bit uncomfortable, maybe even a, a little embarrassed for, for Peter or for Jesus. We know, though, what Peter felt. It says in the scripture, it says that he was hurt by the third repetition of Jesus' question, do you love me? And to tell you the truth, Peter might have been hurt the first time he got asked. I mean, what, what kind of devotion does it show that he jumped out of the boat to swim toward the guy, right? 
He, he already was showing, I, I've missed you. Nothing says I've missed you, like jumping out of a boat to swim towards you. <laughs> but the third time that Jesus asked, it hurt enough that the gospel writer John, he mentions it. What stands out to me from the reinstatement of Peter here that's going to happen, and through these steps of asking, do you love me, and, and to do that three times, I think that Jesus is communicating real forgiveness. Real forgiveness doesn't paper over what happened. It doesn't pretend like that stuff didn't happen. Because there's stuff that we have said and done that can't be unsaid and can't be undone. And there, there are aftershocks that, come, that follow that. And it affects our lives and our relationships with our loved people. It affects our, our faith as well. So real forgiveness has to engage. It has to acknowledge that. I mean, it has to do that in a real way. So Jesus, Jesus isn't like rubbing his nose in it. I don't think that's what's going on. He, he's bringing forgiveness right to the point of injury. It's like he's putting an ointment right at the point of pain. Because Jesus' healing forgiveness meets Peter right at the point of his failure. And Peter can receive that as Christ's welcome. I wonder if you have some memories that you might be a little bit embarrassed about. Of course you do, because we all do, right? We, we all do. Just all of us have moments in our lives that we kind of cringe at the memory of how could I have been so silly or so clumsy? How could I have been so mean in that moment? Why, why didn't I realize? And maybe when you first heard Jesus' questions, you, you kind of also felt like that was kind of a mean thing. But I, I want you to hear this. Can you imagine what a difference it made in Peter's life? That Jesus so purposely asked him three times so that three times he could reaffirm his love for Jesus. If this hadn't happened, Peter's failure would have always been a point of regret in his life. It would have been a point of pain and sorrow for him for always. Every time that Peter would have remembered that moment, it would have hurt again. He would have relived his whole denial of Jesus over and over again, and it would have kind of been like dying. But instead of it being a place of death, it was now a place of resurrection. Peter's relationship with Jesus has just gone through the same arc as Jesus' death and resurrection because Peter did turn on his Lord. He was a coward, and he has to admit it. it was in, he, was a, he, was, he was a coward at the moment that it really mattered. But now Jesus says, it doesn't matter anymore. He's, he's saying, look at, look at me. Look at me. Do you love me? Do you love me? And he's given the chance to reaffirm three different times that he does love him. And here's the thing. It, it might have hurt in the moment for Peter, that he asked him one more time. But imagine the power that moment would have for the rest of Peter's life from that day on. Every time he remembered the denial of Jesus, he has to remember also 
the reaffirmation of his love for Jesus. It's been lovingly superimposed on top of the point of his failure. If you have ever felt like you have disobeyed God or betrayed him, or if you are beyond God's forgiveness, I, I want you to remember this moment with Peter too. Jesus knew ahead of time that Peter was going to deny him. And he even told him, you're going to deny me. And Peter knew that, but Peter still did it. But that wasn't the end of the story. And it wasn't the end of Peter's story either. There was welcome and there was love still. So for our low moments in our relationship with God, there, those times where we have been cowards, where we have given in to temptation, where we don't really have a lot of faith at all, that doesn't have to be the end of our story with God either. Oftentimes we think about our failures and we think that God doesn't want anything to do with us anymore after that. But maybe, maybe he is inviting you to a new life of faith from that point on. It begins with this meal together with him, with this question, do you love me? Because Christ invited his disciples in. And back into relationship. He took the initiative with them. And it's this image of closeness and welcome. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Gives him a job to do. Hey, let's get going. So he, he needs to receive that from Jesus if he's going to ever do anything for him. It has to start there. Our, our relationship with God has to begin with us receiving from God. And secondly, it is, giving back to God. And this is much shorter. We, we give back to God and others. Because three times when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He tells him, yeah, that's the case. I love you. And he says, if so, then feed my sheep. Clearly, Jesus wants Peter to be a, a, a spiritual shepherd for his church. He wants him to shepherd God's people and care for people's souls. But I, I would love for us this morning to hear it for ourselves. Do you love me? He would say your name if you were there, he would, he would say your name, put his hand on your shoulder. You're there on a stony beach beside the lake. He says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And, and that, that's the right response for us to loving Jesus. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. This is, this is God's love language, to receive from him and pour it out to other people. So let's, let's have a couple of concrete ways to do that. Uh, if you are new here to See Me Cove, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're with us today. Uh, you should know one of the things that we're committed to is we want to we be involved in holistic mission. Uh, people are whole people. They need to be cared for in whole ways. Uh, we are looking forward to the new creation. That's Nobody's going to be perfect until then. Er, but everything we do needs to point toward the future wholeness of the world and, and uh, the peace and wholeness of that. So... Feeding God's sheep is definitely about feeding people's souls, and we can't leave that out. But it's also, I, I'm going to say it's also going to be about feeding our relationships and actually feeding people. So those are my three things. Soul. Let's think about feeding our souls. If you love me, feed my sheep, he says. So when you think about people around you and caring for people's souls, you automatically are going to think about friends and family your kids and grandkids. Now, I want to encourage you to think about feeding their souls, of those people who are around you, uh, to make feeding your soul a part of the rhythm of your life, to share scripture and pray and all that stuff. But I'll tell you, it never starts with somebody else. It always 
when you hear, feed my sheep, you need to remember that you're a sheep too. You've got to feed yourself too. Your soul needs nourishment. If you're in town visiting, uh, I want to say you should find a, commu- a community of Jesus followers somewhere that you can be connected with, where you can know people, they know you, you can be stretched. Uh, if you live here in Simi Valley, I'd love to have you be a part, to be with us. We're going to be starting a new sermon series coming up called Proactive versus Reactive. We want to make good decisions to not just react the way that things, our natural knee-jerk reaction is. You know, when we have our knee-jerk reaction, a lot of times what people get from me is less holy and a little more jerk. Okay, so um, let's plan that out ahead of time. We're going to see how our conscious decisions can help shape our spirituality, not in a way of performing for God, but helping us to be the people that we want to be and to create the life that we want to create, to be proactive in our spirituality. We're going to be talking about our words and our, and our spirituality, our relationships. It's, I'm hoping it's going to be really great. So in, rela- in response to Jesus' question, do you love me? If you say yes, then feed your soul. Feed the souls of the people around you. Feed his sheep. Uh, Number two, relationships. Uh, If we're going to feed Jesus' sheep, we're going to need to start with ourselves. We said that. You can't actually change anyone else. You can only change yourself. So I want to encourage you to think about feeding your relationships and shaping yourself. The, The people around us are lonely and isolated more than ever before, I think. A lot of people don't know where to turn. So I wonder, can there be Christians in their lives who would be the first people to interact with them and to be open to them? You don't need to agree with them in order to be with them. You don't even have to have a natural affinity toward them. But the people around you are God's sheep. And maybe can we be more generous in our relationships? If you're married, there's one particular relationship that really needs to be fed and cared for. It's your own marriage. And uh, I want to encourage you. There's, I think there's a slide for this. We're going to be having a marriage workshop here starting in two weeks with the very hard-to-remember name called The Marriage Course. Let's see if you can hold on to that one. Um, so uh, it's going to be really great. It's a chance for you to invest in your marriage. And uh, this, listen, this is for anybody. If, you're, if your marriage has never been doing better, I want to encourage you to come. If your marriage is in difficulty or anywhere in between, it's a great chance. You don't have, this is not counseling, you don't have to talk to anybody except for your spouse. And this is open to, uh, this is open to uh, anybody who is um, married, or if you, uh, it's, you know, invite your neighbors too. If you are, have been in a relationship for more than five years and you're not planning on getting married, you can come to this as well. Uh, so, um, this is open to anyone. We're going to make the first one totally free. The whole class is going to be 100 bucks. But I will tell you, and you, you'll get a meal with that. You get a book and all that stuff. If you come to the first one, I, I can almost guarantee that you will feel like $100 is so cheap. This is, yeah. She did one. We did a trial one together. It was so great. I, it's, it's so meaningful. And I want you to invest. And I, and our, I know that not everybody here is married. But I, I want, we're going to start with some married people. This is one relationship we can work on. And it, it will flow out to other people around us. Whether you're married or not, I want you to work on your relationships. So when Jesus asked, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. So feed souls, starting with your own, and feed your relationships. And start with the ones that are closest to you. And finally, when we think about feeding sheep, let's not neglect 
the obvious. Let's literally feed people, okay? Jesus' resurrection is amazingly good news. We want it to be good news to everyone. We want to celebrate our joy. And one of the things that we're going to do to, in celebration is actually to purchase some together, some packets. We're going to purchase these things. You were, if you were wondering why this was up here, you just found out. Um, we're going to be purchasing packets of food to feed people. These packets, we're doing this in conjunction with a local nonprofit called Children's Hunger Fund. And these packets of food, you follow a prescribed list of ingredients that you're supposed to buy and fill these packets with. We did this a couple years ago if you were here. And these go to children, underserved children here in the U.S. who need a little bit extra food. We've seen that people in our community need food. We have a, we have a food pantry where people come and get a, a, a basket of groceries every week. It's done with Nueva Esperanza, our uh, sister church. They give food to people, and there's a line that goes around in our parking lot every week. People need food. And this isn't even going to put you out that much. It's just you still go to Vaughn's, and you just buy a couple extra things. It's going to be really meaningful for you to do it with your, with your friends or a neighbor, with your kids, your grandkids. So what you're going to do is you're going to take some of these packs and you're going to you're going to you're going to grab a couple of flat boxes on the outside and then you'll take them home and then you can fill them and bring them back. You need to bring them back in the next couple of weeks at some point. I think this is really beautiful because it's it's purposely restorative and it's very hopeful and it's connected to very concrete things around us. And it's something that we can just do. You can remember Jesus's words, "Feed my sheep." And you do it. All right, I want you to think for a minute. How, how, many, how many packs do you think you, need, you can take? Can you do? I will tell you, it's, it's just because of, here, here's your uh, math again. If you're, I mean, maybe we need some middle schoolers to help us with this. You, because, because there's different quantities of things. You remember, you know, like in hot dogs and hot dog buns, how they're never the same, right? There's kind of a, a lowest common denominator on stuff. So that's why we need some middle schoolers to help us with the lowest common denominator. Some of these things, when you buy it, there's like eight packs of this, and there are, um, you know, six of this. So it's a lot of times I think it's easier to take in groups of three. But I think you could take six or nine really easily. Last time that we did this, we filled hundreds of these. What a hopeful thing for us from Easter to do to feed hungry people. So think for a second. How many do you think that you could do? The last time we, we did this, I asked people to double that. I, um, I don't know if I'm going to do that this year, but um, I would like to ask you to try to stretch yourself a little bit in that. Jesus asks Peter this question, do you love me? And he tells him, hey, feed my sheep. So the same question can be turned to us. Do you love him? You, I, think you, I think so. You came here today. Do you love him? Then feed my sheep. And do that. Feed your soul. Feed your relationships and feed people, literally. But it does start with receiving from him. You're not earning your way to God by the things that you do. Christ died for your sins and was resurrected for your justification. So we can only be right with God because of Christ. And the question is, are you willing to receive that? Do you love him? I hope that you will choose to make proactive choices even now for this. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage that we see talking about Peter and the reinstatement and the, the superimposition of your forgiveness on top of the point of pain. May we believe that that would be true about us, that you, you not only know the places of pain and the ways that we have turned from you, but you also offer us a welcome back because of Christ. 
that you are willing to look us in the eye and say, do you love me and feed my sheep? I pray that we will be courageous this, this week and this month to choose to do what's necessary to receive from you and act on it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. They, let's, let's look a little bit more about these food packs. I would like for you to watch a short video. You can understand a bit more about what we're doing with the food